these advertisements that feature these really neat, cool-looking devices worn by amputees that are these elite athletes that are able to compete, which is excellent and really great, and they're really able to live their best lives. But those devices for the general population, or even for athletes, are not necessarily covered by insurance plans. People need to work through charity, for example, to get devices like that to get recreational devices that will allow them to run, not even just to compete, not even to be an athlete, but to run on a regular basis, say for normal cardiovascular health. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Eve Lee, Executive Director of the American Orthotic and Prosthetic Association, or AOPA. Eve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, tell us about AOPA. AOPA is the American Orthotic and Prosthetic Association, and we are the largest trade organization that represents the orthotic and prosthetic profession. We represent nearly 2,000 patient care facilities that treat patients with limb loss and limb difference. So amputees, we treat a lot of veterans, those needing fitting for orthotic braces. We also represent the manufacturers of these devices as well. So we really do follow the continuum of care for all of these patients. The care for these patients is delivered by orthotists and prosthetists. I didn't know that these fields existed before I started at AOPA. So this might be new news to others as well. But these are healthcare providers that are part of the rehab team. Somebody coming out of surgery, post-amputation, there is a rehab team that is led by the orthotist prosthetists. It could include physical therapists. It could include other rehab therapists. Our vision at AOPA is a world where orthotic and prosthetic care transforms lives. And our clinicians are transforming lives of patients every single day. They restore mobility, which is critical to both the physical health of our patients as well as their mental health. And our mission, the way we carry out that vision, is to form partnerships with decision makers to show the value of orthotic and prosthetic care and how this care improves lives. Eve, tell us what a prosthetist is and how are they different from orthotists? Both orthotist prosthetists are master's level educated healthcare providers. They're clinicians. They've gone through a similar program where they have a master's program. They perform a residency either in orthotics or prosthetics or both. And then they are employed by patient care clinics in their communities that deliver this care. And prosthetists will focus only on prosthetic devices. So those 
artificial limbs. An orthotist will be more focused on bracing. So a knee brace, for example. And these are not necessarily just the braces that you find at, say, a drugstore. These are more complex. They also can be custom fabricated bracing where it's fit right directly to the patient and fabricated directly for the patient. So that's the difference. The bracing is orthotics. The artificial limbs are prosthetics. Most are not one or the other, but do both. But there are some that are more specialized in one or the other. Eve, is the need for prosthetics and orthotics growing? And what are the driving factors behind growth? So the need for this care is growing. The patient population that will need orthotic and prosthetic care is growing. And that's because we're getting older. That's because of other health determinants like the growth of diabetes in our country. The need is growing. The workforce is not necessarily growing at the same rate. So that's something that we're working on with partners in our profession is to grow the field to be able to meet the need that is growing in our country. Before we get into the things that you're doing to grow the field and help your members, let's talk about your journey. So how did you get to become executive director of AOPA? I think this is probably true of most people. It's not a traditional path. It never is. It never is. Absolutely. But I can say for me that I am an association executive at heart, which is sort of a weird thing to say. Maybe not for your podcast listeners, but if you're talking at a coffee with your friends, you might be like, I don't even know what an association executive is, let alone have it be something near and dear to your heart. But this is the way that I look at it. I've always worked in associations Ah. since I graduated. It was my first job out of college. And not only I've always worked for associations, I've always worked for healthcare associations. And so what I have found is that my aptitudes, my passions, my skill set really does lend itself well to shaping an organization around a mission Hmm. and around a vision in order to create value or in order to solve problems. That's kind of how I look at it is that I'm a chief problem solver within the orthotic and prosthetic community. What I do is I align all elements of my organization, whether that's my board, my volunteer committees, my staff, I align all elements, all my partnerships for example, around a mission, around a vision, so that we can solve the problems of our industry. You know, that's what I get to do when all of those elements are aligned and working together around a problem, an issue, a mission. I think that magic happens. And we're really able to accomplish some real significant goals. And that's what I love doing. I love aligning different organizational elements around a problem in order to be able to solve it. So Eve, tell us about the first association you worked for. And it sounds like that was your first job out of college. It was. I got incredibly lucky. So I majored in political science. And coming out of college, I knew I didn't want to work on Capitol Hill. I had done an internship. I knew it wasn't necessarily my speed, but I wanted to work in government affairs. And so my first job out of college was working for the American Academy of Otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, in their government affairs office. So I worked in state legislative affairs, federal legislation, regulatory policy. I was their administrative assistant as my first job. And so I worked in all aspects of all of that work. I worked with our volunteer committees. I had exposure to our board, even at that level, at that administrative assistant level. I had exposure to a lot of leadership 
the senior leadership team, I had exposure to them. So I really got very much involved in all of the hierarchy of associations at an early start. There wasn't really anywhere for me to professionally grow in that department. And so there was an opening as a manager level in another department, in the communications department. And so I actually, after a couple of years, I went into that department just in order to move up. But really, that department serves all departments. So I got to work with our meetings department. I got to work with our education department. I got to work with our government affairs department. I got to work with our practice management department. So that really kind of started my professional growth. I was exposed to every part of the association. And so my growth really took that turn, not necessarily to be specialized, to be more generalized. My next job within that association was senior director of membership and component relations. So it was a very much a trajectory that was upwards, but also more broad. Boy, talk about an amazing background for the work that you're doing at AOPA. Eve, let's turn to AOPA. You know, during the last Olympics, there were all these beautiful ads of athletes with their prosthetic limbs competing. The Paralympics, you know, took place after the regular Olympics. And you say that most insurance companies don't actually cover the devices featured in all these beautiful ads, and that's a problem. This is a big thing that you're advocating for. So let's turn to the things that you're doing that's really helping you to thrive and put the industry on the map. So what's the deal here? You know, this is not a new problem, although we've always seen, like you said, these advertisements that feature these really neat, cool-looking devices worn by amputees that are these elite athletes that are able to compete, which is excellent and really great, and they're really able to live their best lives. But those devices for the general population, or even for athletes, are not necessarily covered by insurance plans. People need to work through charity, for example, to get devices like that to get recreational devices that will allow them to run, not even just to compete, not even to be an athlete, but to run on a regular basis, say for normal cardiovascular health. Insurance plans won't cover recreational devices or additional devices besides your regular walking leg. Because the walking leg that you normally would use on a day-to-day basis is not designed for regular running, regular running on an ongoing basis. Whereas you're trying to run three days a week, like your doctor told you to do, you would need a running blade for that. Ah. Or if you did want to run a 5K and train for a 5K or train for a 10K, your best opportunity to do that would be to have a running blade in order to really be able to do that without somehow compromising your walking leg overuse, it would run down, for example. You know, you would get more use out of that walking leg. It's not built to run. It's built for everyday walking. So Eve, this is a big part of what you do is really advocating on behalf of the patients so that the insurance companies cover more of these devices so that they can live their best lives. So how are you doing that? Is that federal? Is that state? Right now, that's a state level effort for us. We work with several partners within our space, which I can get into in a minute, but it's AOPA and several of our partners working on a state level basis to require insurance companies to cover recreational prosthetics for either kids and or adults. It really is an initiative that is very inclusive of what a state grassroots efforts can support. So some states really just want to look at kids so kids can move. Some states say, okay, covering states for kids is great, 
but we need to go cover everybody. We need to have it be so everybody can move. You know, we're not trying to come in as a national organization and dictate what every state legislation should do. We really do work with states individually on a grassroots level to say, what can you actually accomplish in your state? Can you get everybody covered? Or is it just kids that you really want to focus on? And what we've been able to do in 2022 and in 2023, even this early in 2023, we've gotten this legislation so everybody can move, so kids can move. We've gotten it passed in four states. And now insurance companies in four states are required to cover these recreational prosthetic devices and the care associated with those devices for everybody or for kids. It's nuanced, right? In, in Maine, it's so kids can move. So it's just prosthetics for kids. In New Mexico, it's so everybody can move. So it really is dependent on your state. But we've developed the initiative to be very inclusive of what a state is wanting to do and what a state thinks it can accomplish in this legislative session, for example. Eve, you say that a lot of how you accomplish things and a lot of how you work is through partnerships. Tell us about that. Is that how you've been able to achieve some of these legislative victories? Oh, absolutely. And not just legislative victories. We look at partnerships all up and down our value proposition. So we are a small association. We're a small industry. If you look at all of healthcare, orthotics, prosthetics is a very niche sector of healthcare. We're pretty small. And so we really do rely on partnerships. And legislatively, that's how we do work with partners for our advocacy work is to help amplify our message, whether that is grassroots development, whether that is partnering with other professions on the rehab team in order to amplify our voice. So that's one way that we partner. Another way that we partner is really to improve our own learning. So we have a medical advisory board that we work with on an ongoing basis. And these are physicians, they're surgeons that work with our same patient population that help advise us on how do we articulate the value of the care that we provide. We use our medical advisory board to give us a multidisciplinary insight and guidance to better define the importance and the value of orthotic and prosthetic care. Ah. We also partner so that we can speak with one voice on behalf of our patients. So that's within our own specialty. We want to be able to speak on behalf of the entire profession. So we partner with those within our profession. All of these partnerships take a huge amount of trust. We have to really work collaboratively. We have to really work hard to build consensus. We have to compromise. So we as partners have to really build our credibility and trust so that we can partner with these organizations. We partner with regulatory bodies. We partner with legislators. We serve on advisory boards. We serve on work groups. We serve on advisory councils within the government, within state and legislative affairs, so that we can be seen as experts in our profession, ah. providing them with research, providing them with expert guidance. So partnerships are very, very important for us as a small profession to really, really provide value and show the value of our work. That's really very interesting as a strategy because through partnership, you have a bigger voice, but also by making yourselves available as the experts, you have a voice in the discussions. Absolutely. We have a seat at the table. Yeah, yeah. We have a seat at the table as policy is being developed so that that policy from the get-go is inclusive, 
all of our advocacy work is based in research. It's based in evidence-based practice. It's based in patient outcomes. If there are gaps in any of those elements, we fund and fill those gaps through funding research, through improved consensus documents, things like that. Yeah, amazing. Hey, let's turn to something different. You have something called Aopaversity. Tell us about that. It sounds interesting. And what a great name. So Aopaversity is our online learning platform, which predates COVID. And as most associations did, had an online platform for learning and for delivering education to your members and also to the wider profession. We had that pre-COVID, but it really has become a critical element in our value proposition for members post-COVID. We've learned that through our member satisfaction survey to say, we need more of this online education. We're not able to travel. We're a small practice. We're not able to send people, as many people as we want, to your annual conference because we can't, we have to keep our doors open, right? And so this element of online learning has become much more important to our members. And so we are investing more in our online platform to improve the delivery of that education because our members are relying on it. And all kinds of different education, that could be clinical education, that could be business education, how to run your business, the revenue cycles of your business, how to make sure those are efficient and maximizing your revenue. It could be compliance education, all of the things our members need in order to run their business and educate their clinicians and deliver the care that they provide. Wow. And speaking of running their business, I was fascinated to read about your affinity programs, including an affinity health plan, which you say is pretty important. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. And that is relatively new for us, but we are seeing some traction. We started this affinity health plan two years ago, and it really was to be able to, we represent a lot of small businesses, and these are healthcare clinics or small manufacturers that are, you know, working within their communities. They employ clinicians, they employ admin teams, and health insurance is a huge cost for them. Yes. You know, we have developed working with partners to be able to offer an affordable, but yet comprehensive and competitive health plan to their employees. Wow. And so what it has done is it's a benefit to our members and their employees, but it also improves loyalty to the association, to us. As they renew their health plan every year, they also renew their dues every year. Ah. So there's an incentive for that policy, that health plan to be competitive because we want them to renew their health plan because it also helps them renew their dues. They see the value in AOPA dues. So it really is a win-win for everyone. And you know, as a dues organization for a small business membership, it really does provide value on both sides. Amazing. Eve, you've got your annual conference coming up. You call it the National Assembly. It's coming up in September in Indianapolis. What can we expect from that gathering? We are so excited to be in Indianapolis. Yeah. We have never been there. We have never hosted our meeting in Indianapolis. Our members are spread out all over the country. And so being in Indianapolis really does make the meeting very accessible to all members. Yes. So we're not specifically on the West Coast. We're not specifically on the East Coast. We're much more accessible than some of these other cities that we have been in in the past. Economically, it's accessible to our members. We have very small members. We have very large members. And so we're looking to make 
all of our meetings, education, all the value that we provide accessible to all of our members. We're at the Convention Center. We have some exciting things planned. We have some networking opportunities, both at the NCAA Museum, the advocacy initiative that I mentioned earlier called So Kids Can Move. We're hosting a fundraiser at the NCAA Museum, which will really promote athletics. It will promote kids being active and allow us to have a really dynamic fundraising event at the museum, which is close to the Convention Center. We have some really outstanding education that is going to be put on at this event. We have a digital showcase that will be our second annual digital showcase, which allows our manufacturers to come in and showcase the most cutting edge things that they're working on. Wow. Whether that be technology in componentry, whether it be the technology somehow in the delivery of care, that's really something that we're looking forward to. And finally, we also have our women in O&P annual luncheon that we host to really showcase the outstanding work that women are doing in orthotics and prosthetics in our profession, whether again, that is through manufacturing or through the delivery of care, through somehow innovating in other ways. And so that's something that we're really looking forward to in Indianapolis as well. Wow. I hear about all these annual conferences and they all, all these execs make me want to go. <laughs> so It's pretty exciting. It's pretty <laughs> exciting. We really try to make these things the must-see event of the year, for sure. You're doing such amazing things. How's membership? Membership is steady. What we are challenged with in membership is there is a lot of disruption going on in our marketplace. There is a lot of consolidation, meaning a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on, a lot of private equity coming into our space, which means they are buying practices, patient care facilities, they're buying large manufacturers. All of this means that our industry is strong, but our membership, we have to look at our membership structure and make sure it's able to be responsive to mergers and acquisitions. Because if a patient care facility acquires six facilities within a year, then we lose five members. Uh. For example, our membership structure is not responsive to mergers and acquisitions yet. So we are struggling a little bit in terms of our member numbers, but our field is growing. So there's more money coming into O&P than ever before in terms of private equity, in terms of large manufacturers and large patient care facilities growing even larger. But our membership structure isn't responsive to that yet. For 2024, one of our main goals is to be able to be responsive to private equity, be able to be responsive to mergers and acquisitions so that our membership numbers don't somehow continue to fall, for example. It's not through renewals. Our renewals and new members are just as strong. It just means we have to be more responsive to mergers and acquisitions. Wow, Eve, I want to thank you for everything that you shared with us today, the amazing advocacy work that you're doing and the work that you're doing to form partnerships and educate your members. I hope you'll come back maybe after your National Assembly to tell us about the new and amazing things that you've got in store for 2024. I would love to. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you today. It's been great. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. 
You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.